Good evening. It's good to be together this Lord's Day evening. So less than a month ago, a champion, a new NBA champion was named. This is going to be a little bit of a sports-centric lesson. Sorry, Jeff, and those of you who don't love sports, but this, I think, is maybe my uh, father-in-law's favorite, uh, favorite sports uh, team in, in basketball. This morning, we talked about his favorite verse. His birthday was yesterday. This may or may not be coincidence. Um, <laughs> but uh, so the Golden, uh, Golden State Warriors, once again, were named champions, And this was a journey of 104 games in one season, including the playoffs. And Steph Curry, who you can see there, their their star scoring guard, uh, spoke a little bit about how you achieve something like that. He said, success is not an accident. Success is actually a choice. What does that mean? What's he talking about? Well, he also said... I want to practice to the point where it's almost uncomfortable how fast you shoot, so that in the game, things kind of slow down. And he said, never forget the power of practice. Allen Iverson might not appreciate the importance of practice, but this guy does. And he's one of the, maybe the greatest shooter, sorry Larry Bird fans, ever to play the game. I mean, it's just extraordinary the way he shoots the ball. How did he get there? Well, of course he has a natural talent, but he practices, practices, practices. Well, what does that have to do with our spiritual life? Is practice important for us? Is practice part of our success? How do you practice Christianity? I'm glad I rhetorically asked that question so I can answer it now. Hebrews 5, verse 14, which is going to be our main text tonight, and I think, uh, Ralph, for those songs that led to this, says that, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We're going to unpack every one of these lines in this verse but you can already start to see something about how we mature. We're talking this year a lot about training up a child, but we're all being trained up, right? Isn't that what that verse said? We are all in training. We are all growing up. And we are all meant to be practicing to become trained. I- I don't know if you've ever heard this, this idea of permanent adolescence or extended adolescence. Kind of a, a sad idea, but, you know, sometimes uh, it seems our, some of our young people, especially this affects boys as they go from 17 to 18 to 21 to 25, there is this, this sense that they don't want to grow up too fast. As teens, this is from the Scientific American in 2017, teens are in no hurry to embrace the putative joy of adulthood. I mean, adulting isn't fun all the time, right? So doing your taxes isn't always fun. Taking care of a house, taking care of other people, it's difficult. Why not just play video games in the basement all the time? (laughs) But if you do that for... A decade, 
And now all of a sudden, you're a 27-year-old man who hasn't learned the skills he needs to be an adult. You are not where you should be. And that is what the Hebrew writer is saying to these Hebrew Christians. He wants to talk to them about this meaty subject, Melchizedek. And they aren't ready for it. The implication is they should be more committed to growing so that they would have developed themselves more. And so they should have been practicing and training. Are we committed? Are we committed to doing the, the fine work, the refinement of learning to figure out how to navigate difficult situations, how to navigate complicated moral questions, how to tell the difference between doctrines that seem similar, but one seems to be true if you really look at it closely and the other isn't. How do we do that kind of work? Let's go through this verse, and then we'll spread out to some other verses in Hebrews right around this. He says, but solid food is for the mature. Are we ready to eat steak? Or are we still being bottle-fed? After years as Christians, they still couldn't understand these subjects, these meaty subjects he wanted to teach. And the implied question is, are we growing Are we eating a diet that is fit for someone who has been a disciple for two years, five years, ten years? How many years have you been a disciple of Christ? Are you eating what you should from the word of God? Are you living as you should? Are you able to explain what you should? And are you an example of someone who can discern good and evil? If you're a brand new Christian, you're probably right where you're supposed to be. You just keep pressing on. You're supposed to be drinking milk. But we need to all be growing wherever we are. All keep pushing forward. The solid food is for the mature. Now, who are the mature? Well, here's an inspired answer. Those who have their powers of discernment trained. I don't know if you saw that. You're noticing what the inspired writer is saying. What is the defining trait of maturity? I'm not saying this is the only trait. There's other passages. The sum of thy word is truth. But in this passage, the defining trait of maturity, God measures how mature you are and I am by how we practice discernment, by how we distinguish Which is the right path? Distinguish between these million shades of gray that sometimes we see. How we decide what we're going to do in a moment of temptation. Whenever it's not always clear what the right answer is going to be. Mature Christians can manage that and navigate it. And it comes by training. And this is in English and in the original, in Greek. This is an athletic term. So, Kazuma, Yukio, this one's for you, because, you know, I'm not going to be able to throw slides at you guys very much longer. You're going to be, good news, you're going to be closer to Colt's training camp 
bad news, you're going to be farther from all the rest that's really good in Indiana. Um, but Colt's training camp is going to start in, in like a week and a half. What are they going to do? They're not going to play any games. There will be nothing put on the win-loss record for months. But they're going to train. They're going to practice their footwork. They're going to push on those giant things that you push on in football. (laughs) The technical term. They're going to be working to get better. And their training field is this stadium, this, this area, this football field. Our training field is life. So what we're talking about today really is is where the rubber of biblical truth meets the road of a godly life. And that meeting point is this training in discernment. That's what we're talking about. Getting better at life by taking God's word and living it, applying it, getting it wrong sometimes and course correcting Learning how to to manage situations. Learning how to see more clearly what's wise and what's unwise. What's godly and what's not. This is our training camp. And it happens every day of our life. Solid food is for the mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. To distinguish good from evil. We're getting better and better to tell the difference. Now, good and evil seem pretty different, right? Uh, that's, how could you not discern good and evil? Noah's looking around and back in his time at a world that's thinking wicked thoughts and violent thoughts all the time. Noah's living the right way and these other people aren't. Sometimes it's clear. Sometimes it's obvious what's good and what's evil. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's challenging to distinguish Good from evil. So this is a lesson, not just for the kids, but for all of us, about the hard work. And it is hard work. It's every day getting up with a task in mind. I'm going to grow in Christ. I'm going to live for the Lord. Whatever other peers are pulling me at, whatever life throws at me, it's just an opportunity to get better at living for Christ, learning to practice discernment. So I have four different, different uh, tips or strategies that come from uh, Hebrews and one that comes from Ecclesiastes on how to practice discernment. And the first is to learn from experiences. And we can see that right there in that passage, that we are constantly, pra- it's by doing that we learn. And sometimes we confuse maturity and age. Age is the number of years you've lived. The quantity, I guess you could say, of your years. But maturity is the quality of your years. What have you learned from your experiences, from your years? What are you learning? Are you getting better? I should be better at life, I should be better at controlling my thoughts than Nadia is. Because I've been at it a long time, and I've really been trying. And I should be better. We have to constantly be working 
to get more skilled at life. Here's an example. For each of these, I've given a training grounds. Each of these four principles. So here's one. Somebody is pushing you to your limits. Somebody, maybe it's a stranger, maybe it's somebody in your family, somebody has picked the wrong day, your worst day, to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, and you are having a hard time handling it, and you get angry. Now, is it sinful to get angry? No? No? Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. But how we manage anger matters. The difference between temperance or self-control, as Peter says to grow in, in 2 Peter 1.6, versus wrath, versus uncontrolled anger, right? As Galatians 5.20 calls a work of the flesh. Well, those two ideas are not hard to tell between. As an idea, it's not complicated. I know what's good and I know it's evil, so what's, the, what's so hard about it? Why don't I get it right every single time? Well, it takes practice. It takes learning consistently from the Word of God. Learning about yourself. This thing, if this happens, that's going to set me off. I need, to, I need to back it up and put myself in a better I need to plan ahead and help future Ryan by making sure that I get some sleep, that I have some margin, that I whatever. I need to be smart and keep learning how to live with self-control. It's going to take a lot of work. And you catch yourself and you correct. Sometimes it starts out, you didn't, don't catch yourself until after you've done the wrong thing. You said the wrong thing. And then you get better and better at catching it earlier and earlier. And I hope you have seen some growth, even though it's not like I've had my last struggle with wrath. I hope that you've seen some growth if you've been walking with Christ, practicing distinguishing good and evil and choosing the right thing over and over again, that you've gotten better at it. We need to learn, constantly just know that life is where we get better. It's not just staying in the Word. The Word of God is our starting point, but it's not just meant to be known. It's meant to be obeyed, meant to be lived. So here's principle number two. And if we keep reading in this passage, so this is... At the end, the last verse, chapter 5, verse 14, is the last verse of chapter 5. The first verse of chapter 6, the next chapter, so the next verse after this says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So he speaks of these Basic principles, or this elementary doctrine, there are fundamentals, like the building blocks. Like right now, we're teaching our little ones their ABCs. We want someday for them to read Shakespeare, but first got to know the difference between an A and a B. And they're basic building blocks, right? And the Bible is full of these basic building blocks, these principles that help us navigate our lives. We don't have a rule for every single situation. You know, even the Old Testament, they didn't have a rule for every situation. They had 600-some rules, right? But you still had principles. And we have even more freedom 
to make the best decision within the right guiding principles today. And so we have to ground ourselves in the basics. That's what they start with in training camp, you know. We start out with tackling. Fundamentals, things that, you know, JT has long since mastered in junior high. You start back at the beginning, even though you've been doing this as a pro for all these years. And we keep coming back to principles and getting better and better at understanding it. So let me give you a training ground for this. For instance, you're standing in front of your closet in the morning. Training ground. What am I going to wear? I have looked through this book and never found the outline, the drawing of a person with clothing that says this is the line for modesty. And yet it says some things about that. It's not like we don't have any guidance, but we have to know the principles and then apply them. Principles like 1 Timothy 2.9 talks about this word, modesty. Modesty is, it's a, it's a word that, it sounds like cosmos, but it's a word that actually means order, cosmos. It, it, it means to do the appropriate thing. The thing that is ordered appropriately for its circumstance. So, does that include not covering what the Bible sometimes calls nakedness, which isn't being completely unclothed, but, but showing part of your body that, that isn't meant to be shown to someone outside of your spouse? Yeah, that, that includes that. But it includes a lot of other things too, right? Modesty is about what is appropriate for Sunday night at North Church of Christ. And I'll tell you what's appropriate for Sunday night at North Church of Christ is a little more formal than what's appropriate Sunday morning in Kauai at the church that I went to in high school. If I was wearing this, I would probably be overdressed, and it would look weird, and everyone would be looking at me, and I'm drawing attention to myself. Just get an Aloha shirt and come back. If you're going to a funeral, that's different, that's, that's different wear than coming to play volleyball at Epic at the end of this next month. We try to do the things that are appropriate for the situation and ordered by God's other principles, God's other teaching on things, and by our awareness of the situation we're in, our culture, our custom, the the scenario, all of those things factor into our modesty. We also want to be aware, as Mark 9.42 says, of our influence. You know, Mark Mark talks about, Jesus talks about, it's better that you have a a millstone tied around your neck and throw you in the ocean than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. We're mindful of not making someone else stumble. That's another principle. These are things we're, we're trying to do. I can't control making sure absolutely no one stumbles. I can't control that. But I can do my part. I can be aware of influence. And so we take principles and we try to make the best decision that we can. There's a lot of a lot of other things that we, we don't have a ruling on. How much is the right amount to give on Sunday morning in our collection? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about the way we should think about that and how we should navigate that. But I can't give you that ruling. I can't tell you that amount. And, and we could go on and on about, about things like that. I mean, uh, where in the Bible does it say to um, come to a fact event on a Saturday morning 
it doesn't. <laughs> but there's a lot of principles that might encourage you to, to think seriously about that, right? So these are, we think in principles, and that helps us to discern what's right and wrong, because we're just not going to find a ruling for everything. The third thing we need to be aware of is sometimes the dividing line is going to be thin. And you have to learn to slice with a sword. So we were reading in at the end of chapter 5 of Hebrews. Go back to chapter 4 and verse 12. You might remember this verse. For the word of God is living and active. I love that. That gives me a lot of comfort because sometimes I can't bring to life the words that I want to say, but the words in here are already alive and they're at work. And so I'm hoping that they're at work in you tonight. The Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Joints and marrow, soul and spirit. That's a pretty fine line, isn't it? Well, that's the point. That's the point, is the word of God can, can cut thin. You know, it can thin slice these things. Help us to distinguish that difficult to understand divide. But we have to know the word. We have to study it in order to be able to rightly divide, in order to be able to handle it well and split between these different things. So here's something that, that looks like, two things that look a lot alike. And again, you know, sometimes things are way over here and way over there, but sometimes there's this gray area and um, I hear sometimes people say, well, you just, there's a balance. You just have to keep a balance. Well, that's not helpful to me. I want to know where's the right, where's the line? What is the difference between caring, which is good, and worrying, which is bad? Scripture says in Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety and worry is not something we should have. But we should be concerned. I, I used to think of myself as a really carefree guy. And then I had kids. <laughs> and it's just a constant worry machine, you know, having kids. It's a lot to think about. There's so much to hold so much to be aware of at every moment. But the difference between worrying and caring, to start with, worry is about our anxiety about things we can't control. And we have, worry is conversely related to trust. That is, we, we can't control it, but we want to control it. And our lack of being able to control it, it has us spinning instead of praying and trusting God. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. 
Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, giving thanks to God. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so we take those things we can't control, and we give them to God, and we, we work hard to keep coming back and trusting him. And sometimes you throw them down, you cast your anxieties off, and it's like they're stuck to you, like Velcro, and you can't shake them off. But we keep going back and throwing our anxieties down and saying, Lord, take this away. You handle it. I trust you with it. But there are some things we can control. At least we can control part of it, right? And so we don't just throw those out there. We do something. Caring means you take care of something or you, you do your part in taking care of it and then you give the rest in prayer to God. That's how we manage care. Philippians 2 talks about how uh, Timothy was a person who genuinely cared about the Philippian Christians. Um, Paul talks again and again about the heaviness of his concern for the Thessalonians and for the Corinthians, they weighed on his heart. But that's different than anxiety. And so we, we need to work and get into that study and try to understand the difference. You see how the Word of God helps you kind of make a split whenever it doesn't always seem like there's a split? And, and we could spend... 30 minutes really separating those two and fleshing out just that one one distinction. But discernment is often about making distinctions in what we want to choose based on what the Word of God says. And again, there's a lot of things like this that we we have to work through in that same way. The fourth and final principle of practicing discernment I want to talk about tonight is discerning the time. And this we'll step away from Hebrews for a minute and think about Ecclesiastes 3, right? The seasons principle. And there's, there's other places in Scripture that talk about this same thing. You know, Ephesians 4.29 says that we should say something that is not only wholesome, but that is upbuilding and fitting for the occasion, that's going to lift someone up in that, in that particular situation. So discerning the time meaning know, means knowing what time it is now. What's it time for? Is it time to rest or time to work? Now there's another close thing. Rest, good. Laziness, bad. Distinguish those two. Know when it's time to be diligent. And don't be that person who is just on a a ride coasting. But also make sure that you're restoring yourself and and you're able to take those times to to go and and recharge so that you can go back into the world serving. So here's a a simple and obvious kind of training ground that I, I think for most of my life have found myself trying to navigate well. And I've gotten better at it, but don't, don't always get it right. Sometimes I'm silent, and I think later, you know, I should have said something. And sometimes I speak, and I think later, dude, keep your mouth shut. So 
We study the scriptures. We pay attention to life. We use all of these things we've talked about to watch and try to figure out what is it time for now. Is it time to say a hard word? Is it time to say a gentle word? Is it time for justice? Is it time for mercy? Is it time for a mix of both, but in this particular cocktail we're working out? Right? Ephesians 4, 29. It's just such a helpful verse about, about how we speak. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Is what I'm about to say going to give grace? Or is it just something that I want people to know because I feel a strong opinion about it? You know, Is this going to give grace to those who hear? Or am I just irritated? Or am I just excited? Or whatever, you know? Am I just lazy about controlling my tongue right now? Ecclesiastes 3.7, of course, there's a time to speak and a time to be silent. So you have, to, you have to watch and learn what is it time for now. The only way we will grow in Christ, as we should, is to work at it. And I hope that as we've talked through this, you've started to see this isn't all of the principles of how we grow in training, but you've started to see that it is a process of constantly going back to the Word and going back to your life and debriefing, you know, those after-action reports. How did that go? You're thinking about what you can learn from that situation where you messed it up or that situation where you just converted your best friend. How can I do this with someone else, you know, you're constantly trying to grow. You're noticing that there are some things that are obvious and some things where the line seems ambiguous, but if I handle the word carefully, I can find a way to know what God wants me to do. I can find my way to where I can settle into a level of confidence that I am walking with him in his word. I read the beginning of Hebrews 6, and I'll, I'll go back to that for our invitation here. The basic principles, listen to these basic principles, because if you haven't submitted yourself to these basic principles, then this, it, he's giving you the outline of where to start in following Christ. He says that there's this foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance is turning from these dead, sinful, killer activities that have no life in them. And of faith toward God, turning to God in trust and faithfulness. And of instruction about washings. That word, washings, is baptismus. It's, it's, it's a word for immersions. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, and instructions about baptisms. This is the starting point. If you haven't turned from dead works, if you haven't turned towards God in faith, if you haven't been baptized into him and confessed Christ, we invite you to come to him tonight as we stand and sing.